Amen, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for coming out today. Uh, last week we had these on your chairs. If you picked one up and you've got one filled out, uh, filled up, then you can uh, deposit those at the coffee bar over here on the side. Uh, before you leave, check the bulletin board. There's all sorts of information on there. Also, scan that QR code and be informed about what's coming up. Uh, specifically, I want everybody to know on Wednesday, we're starting basically a new chapter in our church. Up to this point, in our church, we have officially, we have zero members. We have never done that before. Uh, but as we are uh, just searching the scriptures and trying to figure out, Lord, how can we best accomplish your mission here in Winchester, uh, it's becoming increasingly clear that we need to move in that direction. So uh, a lot of you love our church. You love, love our church. You love this faith family. You want to see uh, the mission of Christ Church to be expanded all throughout Winchester and maybe even farther than that. And so on Wednesday, we're going to begin a journey we're calling the Pathway to Purpose. And it's going to help all of you to understand how you can move from just being part of the crowd to a contributing member of our mission and our vision. So if that's you and you identify somebody that loves our church and you want to see our church succeed and do everything that the Lord wants it to do, please come out on Wednesday. Uh, we'll get started at 645 uh, it's a four-week commitment, and so uh, I think it could really make a difference in your life, help you to know God, help you to find a faith family, and help you to accomplish your purpose on this planet. So Pathway to Purpose begins on Wednesday, 645. Please come out. Please come out. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the trial of Jesus. We're studying Acts chapter 14, uh, or Mark, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14, and uh, specifically, I want to talk to you about the foolishness of judging Jesus and the, how Christians should respond to cancel culture. Uh, now, I need to preface this by just kind of giving you the meta-narrative of the Bible um, because it helps to understand the way I talk, the, the way I talk. Um, so the Bible is really about two camps. It's about a, a camp of God's children, and it's about a camp of rebels. And, and there isn't an in-between. There is absolutely no neutral. You are either one of God's children or you are treating God like he's your enemy and you're a rebel, a rebel against God. And this is, this is how the Bible unfolds. Uh, it climaxes at the point of Jesus' life. Now, one of the things as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark that you've probably noticed if you're a very astute Bible learner, all throughout the Old Testament, you see very little demonic activity. All throughout the epistles, so the, the letters to Paul, uh, the book of Revelation, all those things after the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't see a whole lot of, of demonic uh, activity. But those, fir those first four books of the New Testament, during Jesus' life, there are demons everywhere. Now, it points to a fact of our world. There is the children of light, and there's the children of darkness. And there's a battle going on. Now, this is what we believe. In the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has disarmed the power of darkness. It has absolutely no authority. Jesus has won the victory. Amen? And so this is our job moving forward. Our job is to go into the enemy's camp and take back everything he's trying to steal from our Lord. That's our job. And so when you hear me, because today's going to be one of those messages, you're like, man, that's kind of extreme. When you hear me use this language, it's because we are in a battle. The war is won. We, the war is won, but we are battling for God's chosen people to be brought out of the enemy's camp and become the children of light. Amen? So let's all stand together. Mark chapter 14. 
I got a lot to read today, but I'm not going to keep you too long, okay? Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by human hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, Why do, you, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What's your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spin on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, saying, Prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were, were, were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. In a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. Then he stated to, cur to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken to the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will give us eyes to see your goodness, ears to, see, to hear your word, and a heart to receive your message. Speak through me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm no better than any of these people, and I am so grateful today that you pulled me out of the kingdom of darkness, and you, you have called me a child of light. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. I didn't do it. I didn't deserve it. You did the work and I receive all the reward. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I'm sure there are many in this room who also agree with me in that prayer, Lord. And so we pray today. We recognize we need you. We can't do this without you. So please come and visit with us in a very real and personal way. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment, pray for those around you. A lot of needs in this room. Just pray the Lord meet those needs. Pray for the people that are watching online. Pray that this message will fall on ears that are ready to receive, on soil that's ready to sprout. Pray for the city of Winchester, that the Lord will revive this place. Pray for all those that are still dealing with the flood out in eastern Kentucky. Take a moment and pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen.
You can be seated. Mark 14, 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribe were assembled. So Jesus was arrested. The perfect man, never sinned, tempted in every way, never sinned. Every place he went, things got better, but he got arrested. Got arrested and led to the house of the high priest for an illegally sanctioned midnight trial. Now you need to understand this about a Jewish society. They had the most well-developed judicial system up to this point in history. It, it was the most fair, the more, most just uh, system that history had ever known. The high priests, uh, the religious leaders, uh, the men in charge of this society and culture, they threw all of that out the window because of their hatred and fear for Jesus. Now it points to a fact that we still see to this day. Godlessness only serves justice if justice serves their purpose. Have you seen that to be true? Godlessness has, only has a standard up to the point that that standard serves their agenda. It's exactly what we see here with Jesus. Verse 54, Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. Peter followed Jesus, what does it say? At a distance. Because at this point, it was dangerous to associate too closely with Jesus. And so Peter, from a distance, he warmed himself by the fire. It's the middle of the night. It's cool desert air. And so Peter wants to be comfortable. So he gets by the fire. He's in his comfort zone. How many Christians today are following Jesus at a distance? Covert Christianity. Because they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. They don't want to end up in the hot seat. Y'all know Chris Pratt? You familiar with that? Uh, Jurassic Park. I know him from, what is it? Uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. Uh, Y'all know Chris Pratt? Okay. I'm not, this, so this isn't an analogy that's going to go way up here. Here's an image of Chris Pratt. Uh, this is him at the MTV Music, Movie Awards in 2018, 2019. And he gave what has become kind of a famous, well-known speech. It's called Eight or Nine Rules. I'm not sure. Uh, and in it, one of the rules, um, there was a lot of weird rules, but here was one of the rules. He says that God is real. God loves you. God wants what's best for you. I believe that. I do. You should learn to pray because it is so good for you. So that's what Chris Pratt said. And then, you know, I read that and I was like, awesome. I didn't know Chris Pratt was a Christian. You know, it's good to be, you know, uh, represented in Hollywood like that by a Christian. So you're starting to root for Chris Pratt. So a couple years passed, 2019, the actor formerly known as Ellen Page comes after Chris Pratt because apparently Chris Pratt goes to a church who Ellen Page says is anti-LGBTQ+. And so she comes after it, after him, and then the Rainbow Mafia comes after him on social media and just tries to cancel him. So recently, uh, right before the release of one of his most recent movies, I think it was the Jurassic Park movie, he does an interview for Men's Health Magazine. Chris Pratt does an interview for Men's Health Magazine. And I want to read to you a quote in, from Chris Pratt in the magazine. Religion has been oppressive as F-word. For a long time. I didn't know that I would kind of become the face of religion when I'm not a religious person. Then he went on to drop the F-bomb about five more times in one paragraph just to further disassociate himself with the church and religion and Jesus. 
You see, everyone loves to associate with the miracle working, demon slaying, water working Jesus. Everybody likes to associate with that Jesus. He is very popular. But the eat my flesh and drink my blood Jesus, the I am the only way to the Father Jesus, the pick up your cross and follow me Jesus, not nearly as popular. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for a testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. What are they looking for? They're not looking for evidence. They're not looking for the truth. What are they looking for? They are looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They were looking for a reason to condemn Jesus. Is this kind of behavior still going on today? You see, this is what I'm talking about. From the beginning, from the beginning of time, after the fall, after Genesis chapter 3, there was a schism in God's creation. Those who were obedient to God and those who rebelled against God. Those rebelled against God, their, their, their leader, Satan. Satan is not creative. It's the same schemes over and over. It's the same lies over and over. It's the same playbook over and over. And so this is what we see. If you are a threat to godlessness then godlessness will leverage their power, raid your home, search through your wife's underwear drawer, break into the safe, no regard for due process, do everything they can to find some reason to punish you. Those of many of you, you've seen this firsthand because you're trying to speak the truth into the lives of the people that you love who are living in sin You've had a heart change. The Lord has done a work in your life, and you're a brand new creation, and they just can't understand it, and there's part of them that resents you for the changes that you've experienced in your life, and so you're trying to tell them the truth about Jesus, but the truth about Jesus threatens their sinful lifestyle, and so what do they do? They go into your past. Maybe they scroll through your Facebook feed, and they look for all the questionable things that you've ever said or done or participated in because they want to discredit everything that you have to say. Practical point for all Christians in this day and age because things are getting hot and heavy. Don't do anything stupid. Okay? I know a lot of you, and you got a little bit of a rebellious spirit, and so you like to bend the rules a little bit. You know what I'm talking about. Can I encourage you in this day and age, cross every T and dot every I. Because godlessness is looking for a reason to come after you. If you really want to make a difference in this world, this is what the Bible says, if you want to lead in the church, you want to lead as part of the mission of God, then you have to live a life above reproach. Why? Because the enemy will use your history, use your habits, use your hangups to discredit or destroy you. They were looking for dirt on Jesus, and what does it say? They could not find any. Verse 56, for many were giving false testimony against him. The testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I'll build another not made by human hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. When they couldn't find any dirt, they started lying on Jesus' name. Events like this, it reminds me of how foolish it is for any of us to make it our goal to be liked. That's a terrible goal in this world, to be liked. Jesus said, a student isn't better than his teacher. 
And so if they called Jesus a domestic terrorist, if they called Jesus Satan, then what do you think they'll say about you? Your obsession with being liked is the same as Peter warming himself by the fire. Your obsession, that desire in you to be liked and accepted at all costs, that is your comfort zone. Your hesitancy, your avoidance of conflict and confrontation in the name of Jesus Christ, that's your comfort zone. But friends, it is impossible to follow Christ and stay in your comfort zone. It's impossible. Don't make it your goal to be liked by this godless world. Don't make it your goal to be accepted by this godless world. Jesus said, if they love you, it's because you're just like them. Don't make it your goal. Instead, make it your goal to honor God. Look at what, I don't have this on the screen, so I hope you brought your Bibles. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26, Jesus said, therefore, don't be afraid of them. Since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. Have you noticed that people who take a biblical stand that challenges the godless agendas of our day that those people get labeled some sort of ist or some sort of obia. Have you noticed this? Fascist, misogynist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic. They call Jesus here a domestic terrorist. He's gonna tear the temple down, that's what he said. He's a domestic terrorist. And so in their minds, that label justified any action they took against Jesus. He doesn't deserve a fair trial. He's a domestic terrorist. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve to be heard. He's a domestic terrorist. He doesn't deserve anything but death because he's a domestic terrorist. How did Jesus respond to being called names? How did Jesus respond to being lied about? How did Jesus respond to being treated unfairly? Look at verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? Verse 61, but he kept silent. Did not answer. Didn't respond. Why? Didn't defend himself. Why? The high priest asked, do you claim to be the Christ, the Son of God? Verse 62, I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Here is the, the, capital T-H-E, the, in bold, the biblical truth that will trigger people who love their sin. Jesus says, I am the Christ. That's the truth that will trigger people. I am the promised one. I am the only Lord and Savior. I am the King of kings. I am the one who sits on the throne of judgment. I define what is right and wrong. That's the biblical truth that will trigger. Because when people say, only God can judge me, have you ever heard that before? What's true about those people who generally say that? They're living in sin, isn't it? Only God can judge me. Here, here's the reality. That's true. And guess what? He will. Only God can judge you, and he will judge you. When godly people call out sin, it is not judgment, it's kindness. 
Do you see that? It's not judgment. When you say, this is what the Bible says, you're not living according to God's standard. You will have to give an account to God one day. He is the just judge. That's not mean. That's not hateful. That's kindness. You are trying to save them from eternal destruction. Jesus is Lord. You are not. Jesus doesn't need your approval. You need his. Jesus won't answer to you. You will answer to him. He is the standard bearer. He is the authority. He is the just judge. Sinners don't like to hear that. Jesus adds, you'll see me seated in power coming with the clouds of heaven. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. The the people that Jesus is interacting with, they're the uh, Jewish religious leaders. They know the Bible, the Old Testament, backwards and forwards. They have most of it memorized. And so when Jesus hyperlinks this passage from Daniel chapter 7, immediately these these high priests, these, these religious leaders, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And so in Daniel chapter 7, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus is born. Daniel chapter 7, the prophet Daniel gets a vision from the Lord. And he gets a glimpse of what the future is going to be. And what happens in the future of Daniel's life is that there's a beast that rises up. And this is an evil beast. It's an unjust beast. And it's this beast that cannot be destroyed. It seems to just be able to push everything out of its way. And nobody can hold this beast accountable. Nobody can stop this beast. But suddenly, Daniel sees that the tables are turned. And all of a sudden, God steps on the scene and he, and God himself puts the beast on trial. Let me pick it up, Daniel chapter seven, verse nine. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days, that is God the father, took his seat. His clothing was white like snow. His hair, the hair of his head, like the whitest wool. His throne was a flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out of his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were open. And so imagine the scene. You got God the Father who resembles just a blazing fire, a light that's so bright you can't even look into it. And he's surrounded by thousands and thousands of angelic warriors and beings and tens of thousands and tens of thousands of his servants. It's, it's an overwhelming scene, and God, the Father, opens the court documents. He sits in the judgment seat. He opens the court documents, and this points to a fact that no one is above the law, not even this beast that no one can stop. Everyone will give an account to God Almighty. Verse 11, as I watched, then because of the sound of the arrogant words The horn was speaking, the horn of the beast. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. This is what God promises us, and this is a glorious promise. We should all delight in this promise. Evil will not go unpunished. Many of you, you've been raised in a church culture that doesn't want to talk about this. It is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. It is a glorious thing that God will not allow evil to go unpunished because there is evil in this world. And there is unrepentant, unremorseful evil in this world, and it will continue to go and never submit to God, never apologize, never feel any remorse. And it is a good thing that that evil is punished. It's good. 
God will make everything right. Verse 13, I continue watching in the night vision and suddenly one like a son of man, who is that? Jesus. He was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. He comes to God the Father and he was escorted before him. And Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people and nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is why Jesus doesn't defend himself. Because although it appeared that Jesus was on trial, the truth of the matter, it is the godless who will stand in judgment before the Father. And it is Christ who was condemned who will be vindicated and raised up. Friends, if you are in Christ, if you are walking in his ways, if you are standing on his word, you do not need to defend yourself to this godless world. They have put us on trial for living and preaching the truth because God's word threatens their sinful life and their evil agendas. But friends, the truth is not up for debate. God said it and that settles it. That's our standard. God's word is the standard. So let God be true and every man a liar. In Christ, you are not on trial. They are. In Christ, you don't have to give an answer to them. They will have to give an answer to God. Christ is king. And so we stand boldly on his word. You don't have to get nasty and sarcastic and hateful. You don't have to do that. You don't have to win a debate. Isn't that good news? You don't have to demand. This is all you got to do. Speak the truth in love and reject every label. Speak the truth in love and reject every label. I took a biblical stand recently, and there was a, a girl, young woman, and she hated me for it, absolutely hated me. And so she messaged me, and she says this. She says, I'm going to make sure every person in Winchester knows what kind of person you are. And so I said, okay, go ahead. I don't have anything to hide. But no matter what you do, it does not change the truth of what I'm speaking to you. No matter what you do, it does not change God's standard, and it does not change the fact that you will stand before him and give an account for why you are rejecting his truth. A couple years back, I resolved myself to care less about what people say and think about me. It's an important thing that I had to resolve myself to because in this day and age, in this day and age, if you get caught up in that, you're not going to be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life. It's not your job to be universally liked. It is your job to walk in God's ways and speak God's truth in love. That's your job. So this is how you can live a guilt-free and shame-free life. This is how you can live a life where you'll have haters, but you don't have to get caught up. You don't have to be bothered by what they say and think about you. If you live above reproach in God's eyes, if you do what is right by God's standard, you can let people say and think whatever they want because in the end, God will vindicate you and God will raise you up. In the end, they are not the judge of you. God is the judge of you. 
And so you can live guilt-free. You can live shame-free. You don't have to worry about what labels they put on you because you know you're living right according to God's standard. Jesus said, I am the promised king. Every rebel will give an answer to God, and the righteous will be vindicated. Verse 63, then the high priest tore his robes. That's a first-century virtue signaling. Tore his robes. He's so offended that Jesus has just equated himself with God. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What's your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. They charged Jesus with blasphemy, which is totally bogus because Jesus is God, and so it's not blasphemous for Jesus to say, I am God. But the jury found him guilty, and they sentenced him to death. Verse 65, then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, saying, prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. This begins the greatest injustice in human history. We talk about injustice. We talk about things that are not fair. This is the greatest injustice history has ever known. This is the perfect man, God in the flesh, convicted of a bogus crime and executed like the worst criminal. Nothing gets more unjust than that. All the while, Peter watches from a distance. Verse 66, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. So Peter sees, he's seeing Jesus is this bogus trial. He gets convicted. He's seeing Jesus get punched in the face. He's blindfolded. Jesus getting spit on. Peter's watching the whole thing. A maidservant. So we're talking about a teenage girl, probably a little bitty, four foot two, this big around, teenage girl. She comes up to Peter. And when she saw him warming himself, she looked at him and she said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. So this is what we see. There's a, a transition in the narrative. We go from the trial of Jesus to a different kind of trial in the courtyard. This time, the accused is Peter. The judge is the teenage girl, and the crime is being a follower of Christ. This is what Peter's defense is, verse 68. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out up to the entryway, and the rooster crowed. Her accusation forced Peter to get out of his comfort zone because associating with Christ in this moment is very dangerous. And so Peter has to figure out a way, how do, do, I, do I defend myself? How do I preserve myself in this moment? So what's his defense? He plays ignorant. He plays dumb. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so today we've seen two defense mechanisms. We've seen the defense mechanism of the godless. This is what the godless do. They attempt to deny the truth by canceling Jesus. They attempt to deny the truth by canceling Jesus' servants to their destruction. What does Peter do? Peter attempts to cancel the conflict by denying Jesus to his shame. How many times have you known the right thing to do? Have you known the truth of the matter? Have you known what is good and you bit your lip? You didn't do anything, you didn't say anything, because to do something, to say something, would force you to step away from the fire, to step out of your comfort zone and into the hot seat. Verse 69, when the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. And so the prosecutor, the little teenage girl, she comes at him again, she's a little pit bull, man. She's relentless. She comes at him again. You're one of them. Side note, Christians, 
you won't be able to hide forever. You realize that? You have a couple more years left of covert Christianity. But godless people are so deceived that they think that Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians are not just wrong, they're evil. And they are convinced that preaching the sin and the cross and the resurrection is not just wrong, it's not just ignorant, it's hate speech. And even more than that, it's violence. And this woke mob is on the move. Their tentacles are stretching in every area, in social circles, in economy, in business, in government, in education. It's everywhere, and it's coming for you. It wants to expose you, and it wants to expel you from society as a Christian. You see, neutrality has never been true. It's a myth. Always has been. Staying out of it is not an option. The line is being drawn in the sand, and soon enough, you will be forced to pick a side. It's either going to be Christ or it's going to be comfort. Verse 70, but again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you are certainly one of them since you are also a Galilean. Peter blows off the accusation, but they come again. This time, with that evidence, they say, you're a Galilean. Jesus is Galilean. Of course you guys are together. We can tell from your accent. And so when push comes to shove, the evidence, the witnesses, they're on Peter. He's almost been convicted. What does Peter do? Verse 71. Then he started to curse and swear. I don't know this man that you're talking about. In the same way, Chris Pratt cussed himself to death in men's health to disassociate himself with Jesus Peter disassociated himself with Jesus by cursing Jesus' name. Do you know what we call that when you curse Jesus' name? You know what we call that? Blasphemy. Verse 72, immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoke the word to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Other accounts of this story They say at that moment that Peter cursed the name of Jesus. Jesus getting punched in the face, getting spit on. He looks up in the middle of the beating that Jesus is taking. He looks up and he locks eyes with Peter. In that moment, as he's getting beaten to death, he sees Peter do the worst thing that Peter's ever done, which crushed Peter, destroyed him. That's why he runs out crying. Because in your life, there is nothing more devastating. Not a beating, not a whipping, not a crucifixion. There is absolutely nothing more devastating that you will ever feel, fear or feel than to disappoint your Savior. You see, Jesus was innocent of blasphemy, yet he was being punished. Peter, guilty of blasphemy, and he's being set free. Jesus was receiving the punishment that Peter deserved. And even still, Peter, with his eyes on it, Peter still couldn't work up the devotion to take a stand for Christ. With that in mind, if you were put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would you be found guilty? If we question your friends, your coworkers, would they even know that you're a Christian? 
If we examined your calendar, your checkbook, your internet search history, your text messages, would we find any evidence of devotion to Christ? If we reviewed what kind of life that you're living, would we see the fruit of the Spirit? Would we see spiritual maturing? Would we see any souls saved? Would we see any lives changed? Would we see the community blessed in Jesus' name on your behalf? Or are you just following Jesus from a distance? Are you staying in your comfort zone because you don't want to get in the hot seat because if you get in the hot seat, you know they'll come looking and they'll find some things that don't really match up to the faith that you profess to have. Friends, it is shameful to deny or hide your allegiance to Christ for the sake of self-preservation. It is shameful. Jesus didn't save a word to preserve himself because of his devotion to you. And yet you're afraid of a teenage girl this big around, this tall? You're afraid of getting canceled? You're afraid of what they're going to say about you? You're afraid of what they're going to think about you? You're afraid you're going to lose your job? Jesus said, what good is it to gain the world? And what? Lose your soul. What good is it? Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his own holy angels. Friends, Jesus did not live and die and rise again for you to stay quiet in your comfort zone. He didn't. He came to save sinners. Jesus came to wage war against the evil powers and principalities. Jesus came to push back the darkness. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of light. And when Christian people stay silent, Evil has its way, and darkness rules the day. And that's what many of you are doing. I saw the most disturbing video I saw this week. As I've ever seen. I saw it this week. It was in China. And it's a closed-circuit uh, uh, video. Okay, so just a, a security camera catches this footage. There's a kid. It's dark. It's nighttime. And there's a kid that was walking in the middle of this alley. And a big delivery truck, kids walking, wandering, you know, he, he, this tall, maybe seven years old. The uh, truck runs over the kid. Doesn't stop, slow down, nothing. Delivery truck just runs over the kid. Boom, boom, keeps going. That's not the worst part. This is the worst part. People walking the same alley, seeing this kid writhing in pain on the ground. They just walk around him. Don't stop. Don't ask anything. People riding their little moped things with the sores behind, going in a straight line towards the kid. They just roll right around him. There's another delivery truck that runs down the same alley. Guess what the delivery truck does? Doesn't slow down. Boom, boom. 20, 30 people, 20, 30 cars driving on by. Doesn't that break your heart? It's the most disturbing thing. And this is what hits me today. You're doing that every single week spiritually. Do you see that? Do you see it? The lies in this world, the sin in this world, the evil in this world, when you don't speak out against it, it's the same as you just walking around this little boy that's writhing in pain. God wants to save that sinner. That's why he came, 
God wants to push back the evil. God wants to bring in the kingdom of life. But it doesn't happen if Christians stay silent. It doesn't happen if Christians don't preach the gospel. It doesn't happen if we just stay in our comfort zone and pretend like nothing's going wrong. And so, friends, I just pray today that you're inspired in your heart if you really believe this message that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior, that each and every one of us will stand and give an account to God, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, that there is such thing as good and there is such thing as evil. If you believe these things, then start living and speaking as if they are true. And if we do that, if all of us do it, then guess what? Winchester can be a better place. That's what changes things. It's not manipulation. It's not force. I talked about it last week. It's preaching and living the gospel that changes things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that a spirit of conviction will fall on each and every one of us because all of us, all of us, if not weekly, if not daily, if not weekly, at least once a month, all of us, we choose to stay in our comfort zone instead of speaking out for you. We, we choose to stay in our comfort zone instead of going and seeking the lost in your name. I pray we're convicted of that. Remind us of the great links that you went in order to save this world, and may we be motivated. May we be motivated to live likewise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you're here and, if you're, here and you're a covert Christian, I don't want you to feel judged today. I do pray you feel convicted. And I want you to know this, that no matter how much you've disappointed Jesus, and no matter how low you may feel right now, there is hope. Peter did the absolute worst thing that you could ever imagine. He blasphemed Jesus to his face as Jesus was dying for his sins. It doesn't get much worse than that. But a few days later, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the first person Jesus saw was Mary. And he gave Mary a message. He says this to Mary. He said, I want, I want to meet Everybody in Galilee, he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. As if to single him out to say, I know you failed me so miserably, and still I love you. And still I'll forgive you. Still I'll accept you. Still I'll use you a plan and a purpose that can change this world. If there was hope for Peter, if there was forgiveness for Peter, if there was redemption for Peter, in Jesus' name, there's forgiveness and hope and a future for you. All of us, we will give an account to God for the life we've lived. I've got great news for you today. Our judge is both just and merciful. 
And the Bible says, if you confess your sins, if you come to God and say, I know I have rebelled against you and I am so sorry, please forgive me. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, fully accepted, fully known. Look through all your internet search history. Look through all of your accounts. Look through all of your social media stuff. Looked under your bed. Looked at all the skeletons in your closet. He saw it all. And he says, I still forgive you. If you're here today and you feel so far from God, will you please come talk to me? Let me tell you about your next steps. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, come and kneel at this altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray for you. If you haven't taken the envelopes today, be reminded of the victory you have in Jesus' name by taking that bread and that juice they're found in the back. As we sing this song, come.